Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Hour number two of 630 Chad Inside Sports for this Wednesday evening. Dave Camlin for Reed Wilkins for the final time tonight. Until I'm back here again at some point. Reed is back tomorrow night. Uh, Kelly Rudy, NHL on Rogers analyst, will be one of Reed's guests. It's been a pleasure to host the last five shows with you. Uh, the Oilers uh, will be back. I believe they'll be back in action. Uh, well, they'll be back in action on Saturday, but I believe they get back to practice. Uh, it might be as early as tomorrow. They fly to Philadelphia on Friday. They play the Flyers in the morning. 11 o'clock in the morning is a drop of the puck from the Wells Fargo Center in Philly, and the Flyers playing uh, some pretty good hockey as of late. They've won five straight. The Oilers uh, not playing good hockey as of late, uh, losing three in a row, but still uh, hanging around in the playoff hunt, just three points back of the final playoff spot in the Western Conference. So you can catch that game starting at 9.30 in the morning for the face-off show right here on 6.30. Ched, uh, scoreboard update, just uh, two games on the uh, docket tonight. The Penguins up 3-0 on the Lightning. Uh, they are just beginning the second period, and the Dallas Stars, who are in that mix in the uh, race for playoff spots, they're right now tied with the uh, Colorado Avalanche, 52 points, and technically the Stars are in the first wildcard position. They're up one nothing on the Buffalo Sabres. We're going to spend... Uh, Quite a bit of time at this hour talking about the Super Bowl and Super Bowl 53 down Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, let's go there now. Joined by uh, senior editor and NFL analyst for the Action Network, Chris Raybon, down in Atlanta, GA. Chris, how you doing? And welcome to Inside Sports. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you along with us. Uh, first of all, uh, there was uh, talk about some uh, not-so-nice weather uh, hitting Atlanta. What, what's the weather like right now, if you've been outside at all? <laughs> so I'm actually still in New York, so I'm not in Atlanta right now. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, yeah. So I think, uh, you know, they asked Roger Goodell, you know, if they're going to open or close the dome, and he, he didn't really have a straight answer, so... We'll see what happens. All right. Okay. Sounds sounds good. Uh, boy, this is an intriguing matchup. Uh, but I tell you, when you look at it, we're going to look at this somewhat from a from a betting standpoint. Uh, first of all, the line for this game is, I mean, it's almost a pick 'em. I think. What is it now? Two and a half, three points in favor of the Patriots. Yeah, it's two and a half points right now at most books. Seventy eight percent of the bets and seventy eight percent of the money is on the New England Patriots, and that difference between two and a half and three is actually pretty big because yeah. uh, about 15% of all games uh, actually land on that, that three number, but only about 8% combined land that one or two. So um, if you're looking to bet the Rams, you really want to try to hold out and, and try to get a, a plus three at a book, and that may happen as, this, as, uh, as, as it gets closer to kickoff and a lot of recreational betters. Um, start to weigh their wagers. Right. So you said seventy-eight percent right now are, are putting their money down on the on the Patriots. Yeah, the Patriots are an extremely popular uh, Super Bowl bet this year. I think part of it is to do with um, exact just how the Rams kind of got here. You know, a lot of people you know feel felt like they don't deserve to be here because of the way that uh, 
that game ended with the no call and, and the Rams going on to win. So yeah, we're seeing a ton of money and uh, and tickets coming in on New England here. Yeah, that, that, that's amazing. And and just looking at the article on your site on the Action Network, uh, the the previous high was 68% betting towards the uh, Denver Broncos in Super Bowl 48. That didn't work out against the Seattle Seahawks uh, at all. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, and, you know, and, and I read a piece on the Action Network from you about how the Rams are really getting kind of disrespected here just because mm-hmm. of that, that no call that happened late in the NFC Championship game against the uh, New Orleans Saints. But uh, the Rams come to uh, Atlanta with, I think, a pretty good football team and a big challenge to the New England Patriots. Absolutely. You know, the thing about this game is it, it's like it looks like a toss up, right? You know, yeah. we our our, uh, our power ratings had it as about uh, a slight edge to the Rams. Most books opened it with the Rams as one point favorites. And immediately all of this money started coming in on New England. And you have to think that's because of, you know, how the Rams won that game. But, you know, the, the unfortunate reality of the NFL is that if you're going to leave calls up to judgment, then. You have to play out the game. You know, the Saints still had a uh, about a, a almost an 80% win probability um, even after that uh, that play and after they kicked the field goal and, and they still managed to uh, to lose the game and the Rams, you know, still managed to, to get it done. So I, I think the Rams are a very formidable uh, opponent for New England. I think it's really going to come down to the chess match between Bill Belichick and both are geniuses, right? I mean, you have the old sage and Bill Belichick, and you have the young up and comer, and 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 he's a genius in his own right. And, and McVay, so and you look at the quarterback matchup. You got the old man and Tom Brady, who says he's not retiring anytime soon. You got Jared Goff, and Goff's a great story. I mean, he. he it's not often you see a bust turn into a sure thing in Jared Goff. Absolutely. You know, I think uh, there's a lot of things that changed when uh, they came in for Jeff Fisher that, that uh, a couple years ago. And I think what we saw from Goff in that game against New Orleans was impressive, you know, uh, kind of settling down in that crowd noise. And then those throws that he made in overtime uh, under pressure to Tyler Higby, he made a couple of throws uh, with, with guys in his face to get them into field goal range. I, I think that was really impressive and you know that that has to give them the the ransom confidence because you know it's going to be tough uh, facing the bill belichick defense for the first time and everything he's going to throw at you and how big of an addition has cj anderson been since uh, todd Gurley suffered the the knee injury late in the season oh huge you know that that gave the rams kind of another element because we kind of knew the rams uh, under sean McVay as this team that would predominantly line up in in three wide receiver sets and, uh, you know, one running back, one tight end. But over the, you know, since acquiring Anderson, they've used uh, two tight end sets about 25% of the time. And that's a real change for them. And I think you may see more of that uh, this week against the Patriots because the Patriots love to play, you know, five, six defensive backs. They have all these good defensive backs, like a ton of them. Um, and so, you know, if the Rams can, can run the ball, and not just with Anderson, but with Gurley as well, um, and, and kind of force the Patriots to maybe put some linebackers on the field. I think that's, I think that's what, what, what would be ideal for the Rams because it's going to be tough for, for a guy like, let's say, Josh Reynolds uh, to consistently win against those DBs. And we know the Patriots can take a guy out of the game like we saw what they did to Tyreek Hill 
uh, last week. I think they're going to probably do something similar with Brandon Cooks this week. Right, and they know Brandon Cooks really, really well, and I'm sure it's the what-if game. What happened if, if Cooks stayed in the game last uh, Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles? And uh, But we'll never know, and that was uh, that was an amazing game last year anyway. And, I, th- you know, this game kind of has the makings of being that kind of a element of a maybe of a shootout but you know the the Rams defense is really good the Patriots they're not as good but like you say Belichick likes to play games in certain uh, in certain formations against certain sets he sees on offense uh it makes that defensive matchup kind of interesting interesting yeah, I actually think I have a lot of respect for, for both of these defenses, and, and I'm actually looking to to bet the under in this game. I'm, I'm, it's been it's been kind of going down because there has been uh, money coming in on the under right now. Fifty nine percent of the money's on the under, but again, as we get closer to kickoff, uh, you know, a lot of recreational bets tend to come in very, yeah. you know, on those last couple of hours and those last couple of days, and so I think that over under will kind of creep back up. It's at fifty six and a half. Right now, I think it'll creep up to a 57 or 57 and a half, and I'm looking to bet it then. But, you know, I think that it's impressive what Wade Phillips did in these last couple of games. Their run defense really stiffened. Aqib Tlaib, the Rams have been a different defense with him on the field versus off. And then, again, the Patriots just have a really good secondary. And, you know, Bill Belichick made some adjustments last week as well, you know, put Trey Flowers at defensive tackle because he's a good run defender. And, uh, you know, that helps get John Simon on the field for more run defense and that kind of shores that up a little bit. So it's a constant game of adjustments, but I think it's going to be a little bit of a more of a struggle than, than people think for points. Chris Raybon joins us from the Action Network. He's a senior editor and also NFL analyst uh, for the Action Network here on 630 Chet Inside Sports. Uh, so when you look at this from a betting perspective and, and when you look at the, the prop betting and even the trends leading into this game, what do you think is the most popular, uh, you know, sort of prop betting to, uh, to kind of latch on to and, and what trends to latch on to here? Sure. So for prop bets, you know, a really popular one is always going to be uh, the Super Bowl MVP. Tom Brady is the favorite. You usually see him at about right there at about 50-50 odds. Uh, I do think there's a little bit of a value on Jared Goff when you consider that uh, over the past 20 years or so, you're seeing about uh, you know two out of every three uh, MVP winners be a quarterback. And because the Rams aren't really getting any respect, you're getting a lot of uh, you're getting a big discount on Goff. He's sitting there at usually about plus 225 compared to Brady, who's usually at plus 110. So I think there's some value on him. I think Aaron Donald is another one at about plus 1,800 to plus 2,000, where, um, you know, we've seen uh, 20% of the uh, of the, the last uh, 20 winners to be defensive players. And I think if there is a defensive player to win, I think Aaron Donald's got a really good shot at being that guy. So, you know, I, I think those are two guys that I'd be looking at for value. But if, if the Patriots win the game, I think it's almost certainly – going to be Tom Brady. It'd be really difficult um, for for them to go in a different direction. I think unless Tony Michelle has had like a humongous game, but running back hasn't won it since Terrell Davis way back in '98. Right. <laughs> usually, it's usually a quarterback, right? So it's overwhelmingly a quarterback for the most part, right? Absolutely, yeah. About two out of every three, about sixty-five yeah. percent over the past twenty years. Oh, for the you know going back throughout all fifty-two Super Bowls. Uh, it's more at, it's at about 55%, but, you know, as uh, the passing game has kind of, you know, taken precedence over the running game in, in, you know, in the last couple of decades, you're seeing that trend start to increase 
you know, to favor the quarterback. So you're getting quarterback, you're getting some wide receivers, and you're getting some defensive players. Those are really the, the main three that are, have been winning the award over these past two decades. All right, Chris, you got you have a prediction? You're going to be a savvy better and wait till uh, pretty much uh, close to close to kickoff. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, I, my prediction is that the Rams are going to win a, win a close game. I, I, I like the Rams and I like the under. I think that's where I think that's where the value is. Again, I think the, I think this is a toss up, and the fact that um, you know so much kind of money came in on the Patriots is just inflating the line a little bit. But I think it's really important to get that line at three because even in the Super Bowl, it's a smaller sample size, but. Uh, only one Super Bowl has been decided by fewer than three points, but six Super Bowls have been decided by exactly three points. And so you really want to get that plus three so that, you know, if the Rams happen to lose uh, by three, you can you can at least push the bet um, versus losing it outright. So um, that's what I'll be looking to do. And then, again, I'll be looking to, to get that under, um, you know, as high as I can possibly get it. Well, as a Patriots fan, I hope you're wrong. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people hope I'm wrong. So, uh, you know, hey, I mean, the, it's amazing to see what the Patriots have done, but I, I understand why people, you know, kind of look at the Patriots and look at Belichick and look at Brady and go, I've had enough of you. But, man, you can't, you can't, you can't shake a, you know, you can't knock the legacy and what they've done. But, you know, I think, you know, when I, when I think about the journey, the Chiefs are going to be a team on the rise if they can keep that team together and the Rams definitely should be a team that's going to be in the Super Bowl mix for for a few years uh, to come here as well absolutely you know I think this year um I think you know actually the Patriots are getting their respect for the most part I mean you know they were they were only three-point underdogs against the Chiefs which is essentially just the home field advantage and then um you know in the Super Bowl they're getting the majority of the tickets um but the one thing about all the Patriots Super Bowls is that they've all been close they've all been these, these one-score games, and, you know, it, it's kind of come down to, to a lot of crazy things going on. So in, in this situation, I you know, I think it's a toss-up, so you go with the value. If the Patriots were the, uh, you know, were, were the underdog here by, by a couple of points, uh, I, I would be betting on the Patriots. It's just a matter of getting the, the value as a better. All right, Chris, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter, at Chris Raybon, or on the ActionNetwork.com, or in the Action Network app. Chris, it was a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, enjoy Super Bowl 53, okay? Thanks for uh, joining us tonight. All right, thanks for having me. You too. Chris Raybon from the Action Network, senior editor, also NFL analyst. Uh, a little bit of an insight from a betting standpoint um, on what the trends are are looking like and what the best prop bets are. And uh, it's going to be, I agree, it's going to be a close game. Uh, I think two and a half to three points is probably very accurate in favor of the Patriots. But I think the Rams definitely have the ability to to cover that but 78 percent of the betting going towards the patriots that's uh that's quite a bit and you consider a year ago the eagles were the favorite uh but they only had 52 percent of the bets then going back the patriots 62 percent over the falcons the panthers 61 percent over the broncos that did not work out and uh, patriots 64 percent over the seahawks and the broncos 68 this episode is brought to you by hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. 8% 8% over the Seahawks. Nope, that did not work out as well. It is 7:20. Back with more inside sports in a moment.
Inside Sports brought to you by the Furnace family, your 24-7 furnace repair and furnace replacement specialist. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. Patriots concluded their first practice in Atlanta, as did the Rams. As uh, preparations continue for Super Bowl 53, Pats wore helmets and shells for a 90-minute session in Georgia Tech's indoor facility in Midtown Atlanta. The Rams also, they held a 90-minute walkthrough as well. Head coach Bill Belichick of the Patriots, you know, you're going to get Bill Belichick answers, but says his team will be well-prepared. It's the biggest game of the year. Everything's on the line. Everything's at stake. Uh, we all want to go out there and, and perform at our very highest level, uh, and that's because of our respect and commitment to each other. Uh, and certainly we understand how difficult it is to play a team like the Rams and what that challenge will be. He's dull, but he's very good. He doesn't get paid to do media interviews, but he is a heck of a coach. Uh, the Rams, they had a half-speed no-contact practice at the Falcons training facility, and Rams corner Aqib Talib, and a former Patriot as well, says he's not surprised that his team is playing in the big game. I thought uh, if, uh, every, if everybody bought in <clears throat> in April, and then wait till like August, you know, to really, really start bonding. I thought if everybody bought in in April and everybody worked hard in April, I thought we'd have a great chance of, uh, of being the best team in the league. So there you go. Day one in the books as far as practice goes, and they'll ramp it up tomorrow and Friday. Big game is on Sunday afternoon. New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton says he's glad to be part of the committee that discusses the proposed NFL rule changes, but Payton says nothing done in the future can change those officiating mistakes that may have cost the Saints a trip to the Super Bowl. Officials failed to call a penalty after Rams defender uh, Nickel Roby Coleman knocked down a Saints receiver in the final minutes of regulation in the NFC Championship game. Rams went on to win in overtime. Chris Raybon made a good point, and I'm surprised about this, is that even with that call going against the, the Saints and it was a non-call, they still had an 80% chance to win that game. That's probably because they won the coin toss in overtime, but Drew Brees threw an interception, and then the field goal happened, 57-yarder from Greg Zerline to clinch the, uh, the Super Bowl appearance. I also laughed today too. Sean Payton said, "So how'd you cope with uh, that loss?" I binged on Netflix and I ate sugar and binged on ice cream. He says, "When bad things happen, he goes to sugar." Got to eat your feelings. Amen, brother. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you text in six thirty, six thirty. John asks a uh, CFL question, Eskimos question. Uh, do you think Trevor Harris might make sense for the Eskimos if Riley leaves? If Trevor Harris is available, yes. Simple answer, yes. But here's the thing. I think there are similar you know, scenarios, kind of similar with the Eskimos and Red Blacks. But with the Red Blacks, I think there's an understanding that Trevor Harris wants to come back. It's just he's waiting to see what the cap's going to look like. I don't think these quarterbacks are going to wait till May. But I think there's just going to be a little bit more of a wait period, which frustrates the Red Blacks probably a little bit. But I think there's an understanding they know in the back of their minds that Trevor Harris will be back. Um, with Mike Riley, it's a question mark, and he's going to hit free agency. And I think there's a bit of frustration from the Eskimos because they're going, we're giving you great offers. And for Brock Sunderland, the general manager, he's going, I got this money set aside for Mike Riley, but I got to build a football team too. But he's not going to bow out easily in the Mike Riley sweepstakes. So, but Trevor Harris, if he is available, yeah, I think he's definitely an option for the Edmonton Eskimos and uh, Brock Sunderland. But we'll see how that plays out. 
News is next from the 630 Chet 24-Hour News Center with Thomas Dias. When we come back, we'll hear from NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, State of the League address, and oh yes, that controversial call in the NFC Championship game front and center. We'll hear the comments from Goodell next here on 630 Chet Inside Sports. Final half hour, 6.30, Chad, Inside Sports for this Wednesday evening. Dave Campbell in for Reed Wilkins. Wilkie back tomorrow as the Oilers, uh, I believe they might be skating tomorrow as they prepare to uh, head on a plane on Friday and head to Philly. And that's when they will play their first game uh, back from their bye week. They'll take on the Flyers. 11 o'clock in the morning is the drop of the puck and catch the uh, Face-off show right here on 6.30, Chad, starting at 9.30. Just two games on tonight's schedule. The uh, Pittsburgh Penguins up 4-0 now on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Chris Letang scores his second, or sorry, his 12th goal of the season. And uh, that's a milestone goal as well. Oh, I had it. I had it, and I lost it, Patrick. I had what I wanted to uh, talk about, because this goal has a milestone uh, attached to it, and I can't find it. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Way to build to the climax and mm. then not deliver. Yeah. Ooh. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> oh, man. I got to find it now. I'm I'm on a mission now. I want to find this. This stat. I love stats. Just ask Mike Riley. Ask Morley Scott. Ask anyone. Uh Okay, here it is. Chris Letang ties Paul Coffey for the all-time Penguins franchise leading career goals by a defenseman with his 108th career goal. All right, there you go. Dallas Stars with a 1-0 lead over the Buffalo Sabres. They have just begun the second period of play. You can text in at 6.30, This uh, text comes in. Would you and Kelsey Campbell, who is our executive producer here at uh, 6.30 Chad and Global News Radio and Global News... Would you and Kelsey Campbell ever race in the battle of the 630 Chad Network Campbell All-Stars? She'd kick my butt. Depends on what the race is. Well, if it's a downhill race, I probably win because if I just roll down. Momentum, yeah. Exactly. If it's on just dry land, she would whoop me. But no contest. Well, I would say don't sell yourself short, Dave. Well, you know, I got the muscle, but, you know, I got the... Kind of that uh, little uh, stomach there that kind of holds me back a bit. You know, I got a bit of a tank. It could be your secret weapon. You never know. <laughs> Kels would whip my butt. Yeah, she's. She, I think she she's regular at the gym. So yeah, I, I think yeah. so. Yes, uh, she'd be both of us. But so, uh, yes, we're in the same boat, buddy. Absolutely. Yep, you got it. Uh, yes, Tide Paul Coffee. Did I say beat Paul, Paul Coffee? Oh, I thought you said Tide. I thought I said Tide. Anyway, never mind. Um, okay, uh, All Star Game. Was that uh, this texture says, do you think the All-Star game needs a new format? Well, we've had the three-on-three format for the last four years. I think it's starting to wane a bit. And maybe that's because this year's games were just not very good. And Pacific lost 10-4 to Central. And uh, There was a lot of one-sidedness this year. Yeah, there was. It, it, and it kind of took away from the competition. The final was lopsided as the Metro beat the Central. Even the the Metro game against the Atlantic Division, it was 7-4. That was a little competitive there, but 
Um, yeah, it's kind of lost the, its luster, but if the games were closer, I don't know. So now here's the all the American Hockey League All Star format, um, and you know, and I bring this up because a lot of things are tested in the American Hockey League before they come to the National Hockey League, but their All Star format is a divisional tournament. So four teams represented in the AHL's division played six games of nine minutes each in a round-robin tournament. Joseph Gambardella was uh, talking about it last uh, last hour. First half played four-on-four, four, and the second half played three-on-three three, with the two top teams advancing to the championship, which featured a six-minute three-on-three period. That could work. Yeah, seems feasible. That could work. So, And you put a little prize money. You know, I know someone texted in a couple nights ago, said a million dollars for the winners. That's that's outrageous. I'm like, well, you got to dangle a little bit of a carrot to kind of... Yeah, and split between all those players, I mean... Yeah. it's To us, it's big money. I agree with them. It is big money. But to those players, that's like... It's, yeah. It's not, right? No, it's not. So maybe this is something that's considered in the future. But I want to see the three-on-three format again next year. And, and I think the All-Star Games in Chicago... So if the games were more competitive, maybe we're not sitting here going, oh, that All-Star game wasn't very good. I mean, the All-Star game was made because of the uh, skills competition. That's what we're all going to remember. And what Kendall Coyne did in the fastest skater. Right. And just it was was a fun event. Connor McDavid winning his third straight fastest skater. So I think they need a cross promotion where instead of a prize cash, they each get a VW bug, and then they each com- they all compete in a demolition derby Ooh. in those VW bugs, right? Ooh, right on the ice. Motorsports meets ice hockey. Hey, and, you know NASCAR. We all love the we all love the crashes, right? It's NASCAR except with VW <laughs> bugs. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Super Bowl. Yes. Uh, today was all about. Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, talking about, and this was his State of the NFL address, State of the League address, and of course the topic of conversation, the non-PI call in the NSC championship game. Uh, Nick, uh, Roby Nickel Coleman did not get the PI call or a uh, unnecessary roughness because he also hit the receiver's head with his helmet, but you can't challenge it. The call didn't happen. The Saints went on to lose. Here's what uh, Goodell said about that non-call or calls in the NFC Championship game. We understand the frustration of the fans. Um, I've talked to Coach Payton, uh, the team, the players. Uh, We understand the frustration uh, that they feel right now, and we uh, certainly want to address that. So... um, Whenever an officiating is part of any kind of discussion post-game, it's never a good outcome for us. Uh, We know that, our clubs know that, our officials know that. Uh, But we also know our officials are human. We also know that they're officiating a game that moves very quickly and have to make snap decisions under difficult circumstances. And they're not gonna get it right every time. As I say, they're human. Uh, We have worked very hard to bring technology in to try to make sure we could do whatever's possible to address those issues. Uh, But technology is not going to solve all those issues. The game is not officiated by robots. It's It's not going to be. But we have to continue to go down that path. Um... Go back specifically on Sunday night, uh, I think Coach Payton spoke to uh, 
Al Riveron, our head of officials, uh, immediately after the game, Al told him that that's a play we want to have called. Uh, I have spoken to him. Troy Vincent, the head of football operations, have spoken to him. I've spoken to Mrs. Benson. Uh, coach has also spoken to the competition committee, uh, Rich McKay, the chairman. So there's been a great deal of communication uh, and making sure that they understand that. Um, as finally, as far as where we can go, um, we will look again at instant replay. There have been a variety of proposals over the last, um, frankly, 15, 20 years of should replay be expanded. Uh, it does not cover judgment calls. This was a judgment call. The other complication is that it was a no call. And uh, our coaches and clubs have been very resistant. And there has not been support to date about having a replay official or somebody in New York throw a flag when there's no flag. Uh, they have uh, not voted for that in the past. Uh, it doesn't mean that we won't. It's something that we're going to put to the competition committee, see if there's an answer to that. But the reality is that's been uh, at least an opposition philosophically for many clubs. And Goodell continues on the concept of reviewing judgment calls. As it relates to what I think uh, my role is, is to make sure that the competition committee understands that this is critical for us to analyze, to evaluate, and try to see if there's a better solution than what we have today. Uh, as you know, our rules do evolve. Uh, we have made changes to our rules every year. Uh, we try to get better. We try to learn. Uh, and I think that has been very effective. I think the game has never been healthier. I don't think the game has ever been uh, officiated at this level. It's extraordinary. And I, and I want to say about our officials, um, they're men, of high men and women of high integrity. And they're people that, uh, when they, people are talking about officiating, they know that's not the outcome they want. And so I know they're disappointed also, but they work hard to make sure we improve officiating, and I think they do an excellent job. But as I say, they're human. Uh, I think the committee will definitely consider this. It is always what happens in the competition committee is not just considering a solution, but what are the unintended consequences to that solution? And that's part of this issue of not wanting a replay official or a, a official back in New York throwing a flag on a no call. If that happens, you could have multiple fouls on a play that people are looking at. Now, there's solutions for this, and I'm not suggesting that. That's what the committee has to focus in on. What are the solutions? What are the unintended consequences? And come up with something that we think can keep the competitive nature of our game, but also improve officiating. So the media, I tell you, they, they did not... They did not back down easily on this issue at all. And I just labeled this Nets clip just to be transparent here. Goodell staying on message. We addressed this immediately after the game. Um, we spoke to the coach. The coach announced uh, the conversation and the, dis the fact that this play should have been called. And we had several conversations with those uh, clubs and other officials over the next several days. That's, that's our process. That's what we always do, with, particularly with judgment calls. And so um, it was handled no differently other than to make sure that we 
uh, listened and cons communicated that to the to the officials. They did a lot of communicating. We did a lot of communicating for things like Rule 17 and others that came up. Uh, as I said to you, over our history, uh, unfortunately, we have had officiating errors and other factors uh, that have been a lot of focus and news. But the game of football is played on the field. And they're played by humans, they're coached by humans, and they're officiated by humans. And that's what our game is. And so uh, we think that uh, we're proud, obviously, of having the Patriots and the Rams here. Uh, we understand the disappointment of the Saints fans, the organization, and the players. And we understand that. And there's a lawsuit that has been... Uh, that has been... Uh started up by New Orleans Saints fans and about they were wronged and they suffered emotional trauma and uh, a lawsuit that's going to go nowhere, I believe. <laughs> I think, you know, why would it? It's human error. It's, it happens. Stuff happens in professional sports. As Brian Hall would say, controversy is the lifeblood of sport. But there's a notion out there that Roger Goodell should have stepped in and said, we're restarting the NFC Championship game. He said, yeah, I don't think so. I think it's clear, and I actually uh, wrote down the rule, which I think has been distributed to the media, but the commissioner will not apply his authority in cases of complaints by clubs concerning judgmental errors or routine errors by game officials. Games involving such complaints will continue to stand as completed. So that was not a consideration. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the offseason because I'm not, I, I don't think it's a slam dunk that the NFL is going to make pass interference calls reviewable. They have been very hesitant in the past to do it, and I don't think it changes much going forward. Um, you know, and there's, there's been lots of proposals, and, you know, Bill Belichick had a proposal a few years ago saying review every penalty, make every penalty subject for review. NFL games are long enough. They really are. We don't need that. And I'll tell you, and, and, you know, when, when that moment happened, when that non-pass interference call occurred and, you know, after the game and, and Twitter just blew up about it, and a lot of CFL fans chimed in and said, well, at least the CFL has pass interference that, that, that's reviewable. And that's true. That's absolutely true. And I'll tell you, it's been about... What is it? 2015, I think, is when it came in. So we're coming up to our, I think, our fifth season of having pass interference reviewed by the command center. And, and when Roger Goodell says you, it's a no call, so you can't review a no call down there. Up here, you can. Now, the, the booth cannot, the command center cannot trigger that particular review. It's only the head coach that can do that. And you only have one challenge per game to, 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 uh, to initiate a challenge. There probably should be one more or have something where if you get that challenge right, you get another challenge. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's something for later in the offseason. But I'll tell you what, I'm not a big fan of pass interference being reviewed, of roughing the passer being reviewed. I'm glad they got a legal, legal contact out of the uh, review process. I'm not a big fan of it. I'll tell you why. Don't tell me that the command center gets it right because they don't all the time. Or at least that's what I perceive it to be. Because when you look at a judgment call, I could see it differently. Patrick could see it differently. 
you could line up 10 people and they would see it differently. That's the problem I have with it. Now, is it ever going to go away in the CFL? Probably not. You know, it's rough in the passer. It's pass interference. You can't review illegal contact. I don't want this to go any further than those two. I don't like it. I, I've never liked it. And you're asking the command center to make a judgment call. And then they might not get the call. What you perceive is to be right or you know, right or wrong. It doesn't matter. Because I'll tell you, a coach can see it differently. You know, and Jason Moss has talked about it on, on the show here, where they, they see their own version of pass interference and illegal contact, and they coach it, and then a certain call is made where it's not how they coach it, and then you have to go back, and then, you know, there's conversations between Jason Moss and, and the league and Brock Sunderland and the league, and then you go back to practice, and you're trying to adjust your coaching to, to match up with the ruling, and... Honestly, I think the CFL at times gets a little bit caught up in their own in their own rule book and go, how do we interpret this correctly so we're getting the call right? So it's a terrible thing what happened to the New Orleans Saints. And I don't think that's why they lost, but I'll tell you, it took the it took a great opportunity for the Saints away uh, to win that game. And didn't happen. But I, I'm not convinced at all that the NFL says, okay, we're just going to open up to review, pass interference to review. There's a big hesitancy to do it. And uh, I don't think it's, I think it's a long shot. It'll be discussed, but I think it'll be a long shot. So that's how I see it. You can text in at 630-630 with your comment on that. Uh, again, my position in the CFL, I don't like that pass interference or roughing the passer is reviewable because it's a judgment call. Human error is a part of the game. You look at the playoffs in, uh, in the NHL, the Oilers, game five. That should have been goaltender interference, but human error is part of the game. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. That's how I see it. 7.51, back to wrap up the show in a moment. Into the second period in Pittsburgh. Penguins still in control in that game big time. 4-0 over the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Dallas Stars have a 1-0 lead over the Buffalo Sabres. Stars have lost four of the last five. And you go back to uh, December. They're in a stretch where they're 8-11-1 and only averaging 2.25 goals per game. And it's trends continuing tonight. Although they do have that 1-0 lead late in the second period. Uh, Roger Goodell also talking about today about the uh, Rooney rule. And uh, this has not been a good year for minorities. In a report today, uh, there was pointed out, and the Associated Press uh, released this report, 
that 2018 coaching staffs only four minorities held the stepping stone jobs of offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach to 7.1% of 56 jobs. Here's what Roger Goodell had to say. Still is, can we do this competitively? Uh, we've had the Rooney rule around for nearly 20 years. It's had an extraordinary impact on the NFL. Uh, over 20 clubs have hired minority coaches since that period of time. And it's also been a signal for other industries throughout the world, frankly, to adopt a Rooney rule to change their organizations. And I think it has. And also the Oakland Raiders, I mean, they, they have nowhere to play next year at this point. Supposed to be going to Vegas, not going to be ready. So the plan is, the stadium that is, so 2020 is the plan. And now there's litigation. A lawsuit against uh, against the city of Oakland. It's unfortunate that litigation was filed uh, prior to their final season in Oakland. Uh, but that's the reality. Uh, that was filed by the city. Uh, I'm hopeful that they'll get a resolution soon. As far as timing, uh, the key thing on the timing is uh, our schedule. Uh, we need to make a schedule, obviously, for the 2019 season. Jeff, uh, a text in here at 630-630. Appreciate the opinion about reviewing judgment calls, but when gambling is allowed on the games, the integrity of an outcome has to be high. Imagine if there was human error present in casinos or bingos or lottery tickets. It, it would be a disaster. Take gambling out of the game, and you can have a sporting event with an element of human error, but allow gambling as we have. And, Jeff, doesn't matter because there's going to be another call that you won't agree with down the road, I guarantee you that it's been reviewed, that you're going to say that wasn't the right call, Jeff. So the lines are so blurred with that statement. And I get what you're saying, but human error has been a part of sport for a long time. For a long time. Review is acceptable in some areas. Judgment calls, no way. The lines are so blurred. So you say, well, could cost... Gambling or you know betters this amount of money, yeah. But then there's another call down the road that, you know, how do we know if that call was absolutely correct? So that's how I see it. Hey, it's been fun the last five shows. To uh, guest host here on 6:30, Chet Inside Sports for Reed Wilkins. Reed is back tomorrow. Oilers practice late in the afternoon, so we'll have uh, coverage and news from that. As well, Kelly Rudy will join Reed Wilkins as well. Later on the week, we'll hear from our 6.30 Chet MVP. That and much more. 6.30 Chet Inside Sports continuing tomorrow, 6.05, with your buddy Wilkie. For studio producer Patrick Bauer, I'm Dave Campbell. Thanks again, folks. Good night. 6.30 Chet Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chet.